You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Carrie Ann King on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Other People's Things. And I'll tell you what, guys, this, you know, there's so often um, that that we have authors on the show and the books that they are uh, that that, that come on to talk about fits so uh, neatly into one genre or subgenre, and it's it's super easy to talk about, you know, that this book's place in that genre. And other people's things is one of those books that kind of straddles a number of genres, and 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 I love it for that. It, this uh, this book takes you on a on a wild ride, and it is so much fun to be on that ride with Carrie. Uh, other people's things. One of my favorite books of the year. It's it's just it just hits you that way, and uh, I, I definitely recommend it. You need to have this book uh, in your to be read pile. Put it beside your favorite reading chair, where you can pick it up and and just fall back into the journey with Carrie at any time. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Well, thank you, Hank. And now my heart is just all happy. And thank you so much. You made my day. Oh, you are so welcome. You're so welcome. And and I truly love this book. It it was such a it was such a surprise for me because looking at the cover, reading the blurb, I I kind of thought that I knew what the book was about, and it, and it is and it isn't. Um, it and I I just it, it's so much fun and and it's so b- much broader and deeper than I would have ever imagined. And uh, I, I know we're going to have fun talking about it today. So um, so thanks for joining me. Um, but Carrie, before we can talk about all that good stuff, uh, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? You know, I think my very first memory, I, I started writing poetry when I was like sixth grade or something, but I remember a couple of years later than that, I was taking a walk with my dad, who I adored, mind you, and he was very supportive and positive about almost everything about me. And I said to him, I think I'm going to be a writer when I grow up. And he laughed. He laughed at me. My beloved daddy laughed at me when I said that. <laughs> but... I, I clearly remember that day. That's so funny. Um, were you a bookish kid? Did did you read a lot? Oh yeah, absolutely. That from the minute I figured out what the words were doing on the page, I had my head in a book. I I, just, I was one of those kids who tried to uh, walk while reading. Um, oh yeah. And when I began driving, I really like I didn't read while actually driving, but at the stoplight, you might have caught me reading a paragraph or two, you know. <laughs> That sort of thing. Yeah. Got in trouble in school because I had books that I was reading tucked inside my textbook where (laughs) I thought the teacher couldn't see, you know, all that stuff. I I knew a guy one time uh, who could read um, and and I'm not endorsing this whatsoever, um, (laughs) but he could read a novel 
with it placed on his steering wheel and, oh, and he's, no. you know and and oh god I, I the first time i ever um heard of that i just flipped out i was like no <laughs> that's not okay early texting early texting yeah, yeah. while driving oh my gosh i was like get the audio book <laughs> so much better so much better oh my gosh um so Carrie, as, as someone who you know had this epiphany early on that that you would be a writer, um, was there a was there a, a clear path for you that you know w- were were there things that that you pursued that that you know put you farther along that journey, or were you like so many of us that that kind of have this knowing, and then you know life gets in the way and paying bills and and all that stuff and then writing has a way of coming back around what what was that like for you it was not a clear path at all as a matter of fact i grew up in a very um strict religious environment and although books were really important my mother read a lot and so did i there was always this sort of unspoken that really it was kind of a waste of time and not something that a person should be doing and so um, when it came to doing something with my life, I thought I should be doing something that would help people. And it was really late in life that I came to the great epiphany that writing books does actually do that. For someone who read like I did, it's surprising to me that it took me that long. But um, I actually went to nursing school, became a nurse, absolutely hated it. And then I spent years um, taking one English class at a time. Um, working nights and then taking class in the daytime and then I finally got my English degree and started writing a book and then I had kids and um, that my first novel took me 10 years to complete written most of it in the living area where the kids were playing and um, it, it wasn't until much later in my life actually took a tragedy for me to wake up and go wait a minute um, if this is what I really 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 want to do then I need to do it now because I don't know how much time anybody you know I have or anybody has so sure. then I got serious about it finally <laughs> it took me a long time and some hard lessons you know, Carrie, your your story is. Uh, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that story. Um, I've I've met some people who um, were like, "No, I always knew I was going to be a writer, and I've and my whole life has been in pursuit of that goal. And you know, everything that I've done has you know put me one step you know forward on that path. And 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 I've never pursued anything else in life. And honestly, I don't trust those people. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- there's something to be said um, for for gathering life experience and, and going through some things and not that young people can't write. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Um, but but there is something to be said for for just, you know, interacting with lots and lots of people in lots of different situations. And those things inform the kinds of stories that you'll tell, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, a, a while back, my my at the time um, husband said to me one day, because I was like this, what what are you going to be when you grow up? Because I was always <laughs> pursuing different things. And my answer was as many things as possible. Yes. And, you know, when I sit down now to write a book, I have all of these experiences to draw on all of these different people from so many different um, life stations and ways of um, looking at the world. And so I have those experiences and I really I do wonder how a person writes a novel when they don't have that 
to draw on. The people who do it, and I know there are people who do and are brilliant at it, must have much better imaginations than I do. Well, they're tapped into a different kind of magic. Um, yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> than I have access to. <laughs> um, Carrie, if you, you know, now as someone that's you, you publish several books, and and you have, uh, you have uh, a writing career under your belt, and 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 you are a writer. Um, do you think of your books, the stories that you tell, as a a certain type of book. If someone had never heard of you, and and they asked you what you do, uh, what what would you say were the kinds of stories that you write? It it always gets a little bit complicated because I actually have two writer identities. So then I have to talk about, oh, I write this <laughs> and I write that. Um, so really, I the the answer that encompasses everything really is I write character driven novels. Um, about people who are on a growth curve, um, usually strong women. And I like a little bit of weird in there. I have a dark sense of humor. Um, everything I do kind of plays into that. That's the overarching big picture. Weird is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you talked about that first book that you wrote that it took you 10 years to do, um, to, to finish. Looking Looking at your body of work now, and then looking back at that first book, um, was that first book representative of the kinds of stories that you tell now, or uh, has it changed over your career? Uh, no, it was not at all, actually. That was a straight-up fantasy, um, which I adore, by the way. That was one of my favorite, one of my first favorite loves uh, in reading was fantasy. And so it was a young adult fantasy, actually. And from there, I did start my career as Carrie Shaper writing fantasy, but now I'm writing what you would call um, women's fiction or family drama, primarily, um, usually with an element of mystery and when I can get away with it, like this time, a nice little touch of magical realism, which just makes me happy. Yes. Um, the the fact that you started as a fantasy writer is um, is fascinating to me because I've talked to so many writers over the years who name um, C.S. Lewis, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, or uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, and The Lord of the Rings, um, and and some other classic fantasy like that as um, as influences that they influence their writing, and and these authors now write all over the spectrum, and and some people you would be shocked to to know that oh their their original inspiration was was fantasy. Um, but but there is something about those kinds of stories that uh, that are endearing to you know a whole swath of of us uh, writers whether you go on to write that or not um what do you think it is about fantasy that is so endearing um to people and that affect people in ways that uh you know that, that may not be reflect reflective on the surface um but you know why do you think so many people are inspired by uh, those types of stories? Well, I, I have two reasons. I think, one, we all want a little bit of magic in our lives, right? Yeah. You know, you, you want to own that wardrobe 
where you open the door and it takes <laughs> you into a, a magical world. I mean, you know, we all want that. Um, the other thing I really think it is, my friends and I were talking about this the other day, is that I, I don't read dystopia. I, I hate dystopian novels. They make me scared and worried and sad. But I love fantasy, even though it drags the characters through really, really, really dark places. And I yeah. think the reason is it lets me take a little step back. Because I know it's not real. The characters are in this place that's so different that I can enjoy the experience and see them overcome these impossible challenges in this other world. And it makes me feel sort of confident that maybe there are, you know, maybe there's a Gandalf in my world or, um, you know, one, one of the other really awesome strong characters that will dramatically save everything never know it could happen so I, I think that's part of it for a lot of us well having lived through 2020 and now 2021 you know we're we're better than halfway through i don't know why uh dystopia would be entertainment for anybody yeah no i don't need to go there <laughs> <laughs> moving right along um so carrie um we 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 talked a, a a minute ago about the new book, other people's things, and um, this was such a, an endearing story, and um, and for for reasons that you're not prepared for when you when you dig into the book, you know, you you, you read the blurb and and you you think about these characters and uh, you you kind of oh I I know what to expect here, and then you you totally don't. Um, know what to expect. Um, tell me about the character of Nicole. Where, where did she come from? She just showed up, really, honestly. Um, I, I, I'm glad that everyone else is surprised. That's one of my favorite, the reviews that say surprising. I love to hear that. Um, and it's not surprising that it's surprising because it surprised me uh, <laughs> multiple times. This book, really, I called it the gift book when I was writing it, Hank. It it just kind of showed up. I actually had sat down. I auditioned, <clears throat> I auditioned story ideas. I didn't know what I was going to write next. And I sat down, opened a notebook, and I wrote at the top of the page, auditioning ideas, um, no idea too small or too stupid to apply or, you know, something along those words. And I started scribbling. And number three, really, it was uh, Nicole or Nicole, as she told me that her name was. Um, she showed up and she explained a few things about herself that she moves things. Uh, relocates objects that people think she's stealing, but really the universe wants these things moved and she feels compelled to do it. And she also told me she worked for a house cleaning business, which was a little bit of a problem for her because somebody who moves <laughs> objects compulsively probably should not be working in other people's homes. And um, when I started, that was really all that I knew when I sat down to plan this book. That that premise, um, someone that that you immediately think of as a kleptomaniac, yeah, <laughs> um, is is not necessarily a klepto. It, it you know she she's overwhelmed with the the sense that these things want to be somewhere else, and uh, you know, and you see all of the bad decisions that happen because of that. But you know, for her, this is this is a this is a must. She's got to help these things. Um, did, was, was there anything that, that fed into that, um, you know, that plot line of, of the, the person that needs to move things? Was there any inspiration uh, for that or did she just come, you know, fully packaged with that? 
I, I think, you know, looking back, I can see some things that led to it. I, I do have a belief, you know, we call it juju in my house. It's like, ooh, that place has bad juju or, right. you know, I you know, there's those objects that just feel kind of icky, like you don't yeah. want to pick them up or there's something like a, a really gorgeous stone or something that you can't wait to hold in your hands, which I'm doing right now. Mind you, I've got a great big round <laughs> stone that I like to hold on to. Um, it. I believe kind of that there is maybe energy attached to objects and that I read something, I can't even remember where, that they like to be moved, that there are people that actually just go around moving objects around because they get tired of being in one place. So I think that that may have been in my head, but um, I also kind of feel sometimes like ideas just come from somewhere. I like to believe that it's all mystical, magical rather than sciencey. So. Is it sort of akin to the the idea of feng shui where certain things, uh, you know, the, the way a room is laid out uh, makes it more, uh, makes the energy better or whatever? Is it that kind of thought? Um, it, it's connected maybe. You know, again, it wasn't really a logical, rational thought. When I write, I'm not, I don't do well writing from that logical, rational place. I kind of have to shut off my prefrontal cortex and make it shut up so I can write properly. But I do believe in that stuff. I do believe in feng shui. I do definitely feel like when I enter a room, if it's a classroom or a restaurant, there's a place where I want to be in that room that feels better to me. And I just go with that. It's like, you know, the energy feels better over here. I would prefer to sit there. And so that is a concept that to me is actually pretty natural and not magical at all. Although I know to some people it will sound way out there. But I'm beyond caring about that, so you can think of me as you will. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. What Death Taught Tarrant by Derek McFadden. 
Life is a journey. So is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find What Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found this story immediately immersive and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden on sale now. So you've got this character who believes that that objects, uh, you know, want certain things, and she yeah. just can't help herself. Um, the the fallout that happens, you know, with her relationships and and the you know the the course of her life, uh, which is affected by these decisions that she makes, um, makes for um, a very flawed heroine. And yeah. and uh, you know, there's a there's a fine line as a writer where you're you're creating these characters and you know there's the there's the unlikable narrator or you know unlikable um uh, protagonist and then there's someone who is making decisions that you definitely would not do yet you just can't help but go on the ride with her <laughs> you know you just want to be riding shotgun with this person uh and and watching as it goes on um were there you know, as you're writing the book, were there ever moments um, where, you know, you you sort of argue with the main character about, you know, this is not what you should be doing. And and she does it anyway. Or, you know, when when you think of I guess what I'm asking is when you think of characters uh, when you're writing, do do the characters have a mind of their own? Uh, you know, writing is is one of the only pursuits where you can say that, you know, the characters told you to do something. And and other people are like, well, these characters don't exist. What do you mean they told you to do something? Um, and you can go along with that, and people, you know, don't want to put you in a straitjacket. Um, but you know, <laughs> how, how do you how do you as a writer interact with these make believe characters, and and how much influence do they have on the story? My characters totally influence the story. So again, when I said character driven, you know, it's interesting because this Carrie Schaefer, my my novels actually that I've been writing are are mysteries. And so you would think that that would be more plot driven, but it it's always um my characters really are become very real on the page to me. And I have a sense often of I want something to happen and the character will tell me very clearly I would never do that thing. And so I listen to them. I I've come over time to trust that they know what they're doing and I should just let them do it. And then I kind of use that to do plotting um, around what it is that they want. It gets kind of complicated. But if I go against that, it it doesn't work. And and I think a lot of this is intuitive for me. I am a, mental, a licensed mental health counselor, um, and I did work uh, as a nurse as well. And um, I've 
been a crisis mental health person. I I have a very definite sense of character personality, like what a personality type who has been shaped by certain life events is going to do or not do or unlikely to do, which then the character can do, but it needs to be unlikely. So I always I always go with that and follow it. As, as a reader, one of the things I hate is when a character does something that I, as a reader, don't think that character would ever do. That jolts yeah. me right out of the story. So as a writer, I really do try very hard to let my characters be uh, consistent. And I feel like the story is working when they start talking to me like that. I love it. Um, the, you, you know, we as we get to know um nicole uh and 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 you know get get a feeling for the patterns of her life um we think the story is going to go one way and then she um has an encounter with a certain object that that kind of you know um makes a huge left turn for the story um where did the idea for this book that she encounters um come from well, you know, um, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think back because that was so early in the writing process. I, the book was originally, I, I was using the book Possession, which I thought worked really well and loved very much. And then I realized that it wouldn't have been out at the right time. Um, so yeah, it just didn't work. So um, I had to change things. So I, I felt a book was something that... They have so much energy, don't you think? You know, yeah, books, they've yeah, been read sure. by so many people, especially an old used book. It's been touched by so many people. It has kind of a life of its own. And I needed it to, to be something that wasn't going to be really huge or noticeable. I wanted um, this thing that she moved to be a thing where she could actually rationalize with herself. Nobody's really going to care if I move this thing. It's only an old book. So I'll break my new resolution to stop moving things and just move this one. One last <laughs> item <laughs> and nobody will know and yeah as the book tells us that is not how that turned out you mentioned early on that there's a a bit of magical realism uh in this book and and the the book in the book um uh adds some of that flavor um how, how do you balance um, writing a story that's not necessarily fantasy, um, you know, and it's not um, it, it doesn't check all of those boxes yet. There's a fantastical element about it. Um, how do you weave these things in while not losing uh, a part of the audience that would say I would never read fantasy? You know, that's not my thing. Um, you know, when when you're thinking about. Uh, the all of the different genres that you're kind of melding together or is that ever a consideration that well well some people won't like this element of the book if I if I go here or this is a step too far um, how how do you weigh those out on some level I think I do think about those things but here's what I determined really early on with writing if if 
if I don't love what I do, then why would I do it? You know, there's a whole lot of easier ways to get rich and famous than with (laughs) trying writing writing books, right? So if I don't love it, then I don't want to do it. So one of my rules is that I do let myself go um, in some directions that I want to go. I did have the blessing of my editor on this one that I could play with a little bit of magical realism. So I knew that was going to be okay. And then I just really it, it's like when you're writing fantasy world building is super important and it's the same if you're writing something that is set in the real world you create the world your character lives in and you get to create the rules of that in this case those rules include that sometimes this character sees objects that have energy around them and she's aware of that and they want to be moved and so i just wrote that in to the reality as if i was creating a neighborhood and a street and a you know legal system um i just added that in and made it factual so that it's just there and that makes it much more uh, believable and easier for readers to get their minds around with other people's things um how many books does this make uh for you that you've published Okay, so in total, um, including all of my books, both indie and traditional, um, for both of my author selves, there are, this is number 12, I believe. So it's number six as Carrie Ann King. Gotcha. Um, How have you seen publishing change over those 12 books? And, um, you know, you, you talked about having a conversation with your, with your editor and, and, you know, having some, some back and forth there before you, uh, really got into the book and uh but has you know o- over those dozen books or so has the has the industry changed um obviously it has but ha- yeah. have you felt the effects of that and 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 what do you think about the state of publishing where we are right now Oh, you know, it's all, it's in flux all again right now as we speak. So it's, I try not to think about it too much, to be honest. I just want to write my books and then I hope that they'll be published. I've been really lucky with Carrie Ann King. I landed at Lake Union, which is an imprint of what I used to think of as the evil Amazon empire, but now is my (laughs) best friend. Um, So my editor there, Jody uh, Warshaw, is the best editor that a writer could ever dream of having. I absolutely adore her. She's very smart. She's very responsive. Um, She's very insightful reader. So she always, you know, reads my first draft and then gives me feedback before it goes to developmental edits or anything else, which is fantastic. Um, And being with Amazon and Amazon imprint, it's kind of, you know, they do the same things and not too much changes. And yet it is changing. You know, I've been looking, I've been watching um, Amazon First Reads, for example, don't have the same immediate rise to the top always that they used to have. There are all kinds of um, books that you wouldn't think would be bestsellers suddenly are and ones that you would think aren't. And the pandemic really, really made things interesting last year. (laughs) Yes. Last year's release was very strange. Um, it, it's 
always ever changing, I think. I, I love the fact that there's now the possibility of indie publishing. I've done that now as Carrie Shaper, and that's fun to play with. So in some ways, we're more limited. We don't, you know, the chance of getting those huge advances that authors used to get are less um, for most of us. And at the same time, we can very successfully make a career out of doing things independently. So there's just ever shifting. I try and just stay focused on writing the books and ho hope that the rest, <laughs> I do a lot of, let's just believe, let's trust and believe that the rest is going to work out. Well, and at some point you have to believe that if I write a, a good enough story that, that makes me happy, um, that it's going to make other people happy too. And um, there, there's a bit of trust that you just have to have that um, that the, the, the story is going to find its reader and, you know, yeah. hopefully, you know, we can, we can knock on wood and, and all of that good stuff. Um, but this book, I believe, uh, is not going to have any trouble finding, uh, it's, it's reader. I love this book so much. And I'm telling everyone about it. Um, if, if people are just learning about you, Carrie, and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? So my website is a great place to start, and that has both my author selves on there because I got really, really tired of trying to <laughs> keep up with both of them. So it's a I have a website URL too. I love it. <laughs> I have a website called allthingscarry.com, and that's Carrie spelled K-E-R-R-Y. I am on Instagram um, as both of myself, but we're talking about Carrie Schaefer today, so that's um, at Carrie underscore. Um, um, sorry, Anne, A-N-N-E underscore King, Carrie Ann King. And I'm on Facebook as author Carrie Ann King. Um, if you go to my website at All Things Carrie, you'll immediately land at a place where you can sign up for my newsletter. I highly recommend that you do that. I have a very, um, my readers seem to love it. A newsletter that I send out, I talk about what's going on in my world. I have a Tales of the Viking that is very popular. I live with a real life Viking who is a very interesting uh, individual and <laughs> um, book news, giveaways, all that kind of stuff. So that's a great way to keep in touch with me. Right. We'll put a link to the website uh, in the show notes. We'll also awesome. put a link um, to to the Amazon page where you can grab other people's things in paperback or Kindle edition or audiobook. Um, however you like to consume books, you can grab it there. Um, Carrie, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, we're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of other people's things. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I had a great time chatting with you. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves, the Jason Crane series. The ancient building wore the severe cassock colors of a Puritan minister, a uniform monochrome of slate-gray shingles and soot-gray clabberds. Its shadowed upper windows cross-hatched like the facets of a spider's eye. The second story protruded beyond the first and bore the house's only ornament, two gray teardrops of wood weeping from each corner of the building's stiff upper lip. The place would have looked sinister and foreboding in its shadowed alley if not for the die-cut silhouette of a dancing sheep, jaunty above the door, and the two front bay windows that blazed with colorful, welcoming light. The windows were hung with orbs of colored glass on staggered lengths of ribbon. Each orb glowed with autumnal reds and delicate greens, burgundy tints and pumpkin hues, dappled raspberry and clover lime, 
streaked with light and weightless as bubbles over a cauldron. The shelves below offered crystal skulls and silver daggers and horny devils, Celtic chalices and woven dream catchers in dreamcoat hues. A primitive broom leaned in a corner, ready for flight, and a rhapsodic nude in bronze clutched her goat-legged lover beneath a jackal bust of Anubis. The interior of the shop was even witchier. Above a crude and sooty fireplace, a stack of brick barely holding the shape of a chimney pushed through the barn-high roof, threading ancient beams that crisscrossed overhead. Brooms and kettles and Christmas lights dangled from these, alongside Halloween costumes and Chinese umbrellas, pointy hats and bundles of herbs. Jason wandered deeper into the shop. His fingers trailed across strange bronze statuary and Aztec masks of turquoise and lapis lazuli. He rolled his eyes at the luck candles and money charms, but goggled indecently at a nude and anatomically correct silver nymph with long golden hair that reminded him of Kate. See anything you like? Jason jumped, turned, and jumped again. The woman standing before him was the living embodiment of every hippy-dippy counterculture type he'd ever seen. Her hair was green, her face pale and round, her doughy body wrapped in some elaborately woven ethnic garb. Her eyebrows were black and pierced in little rows, and her eyes were heavily circled with midnight blue, as if she'd been sucker-punched by an oil slick. She tapped the glass over the nymph. Admiring the goddess, I see. Oh, uh, uh, she practically caught him with porn. You want to hold her? She won't break. Here. The woman flipped open a glass door and handed Jason the naked figure. See how heavy she is? You could bang her against the wall all day and barely make a dent. She waggled her eyebrows, obviously enjoying his discomfort. He checked the price tag. Seven hundred bucks? The goddess is a symbol of love and fertility. Don't be ashamed of desiring her. The woman's long green fingernails plucked a long black cigarette from a long red case, and she lit it. I sense... She blew smoke and studied its whirls. Dissatisfaction in love? Yes, I have just the thing. She pulled Jason into a side room, where the smell of her clove smoke gave way to the skunky aromas of potpourri sachets, tea leaves, and hanging clutches of twiggy flowers. She searched, found a little bundle, and pressed it into his hand. This will make you irresistible. Rub it on your nethers twice a day, and love shall surely find you. Jason made a face. The bundle smelled like cow manure. He didn't even want that on his hands. 